0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now, here's your host.
1: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have another fantastic episode for you this week as I spoke with Choco de Jesus, Senior Pastor of New Life Covenant Church in Chicago. Pastor Choco not only provides leadership to the campuses of New Life Covenant, but he's also a sought-after speaker and top-selling author. His latest book, move into more is available april 2018 from zondervan on this week's episode choco and i talk about how churches can effectively minister to the growing latino population two things you must do before you plant a new church why some ministry leaders settle for less than god's best and what you can do to avoid that trap so let's jump right into my conversation with pastor choco Chaco, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for taking time to share with us.
0: Thank you. It's uh, a privilege and honor to be with you guys here at Church Leaders.
1: Excellent, brother. Now, let's start off, if you could, can you share a bit about uh, the growth of the Latino Church here in the U.S.?
0: Well, I think what's, um, you know, when you have close to over 67 million Hispanics, in the United States, and, and, you, and you consider uh, out of our 50 states, two of the states have, California and New Mexico have the largest group um, of Latinos or Hispanic, and then there are 18 other states where Hispanics are the largest minority group. Um, it's, you have this influx of growth, and I believe, my perspective is that God has allowed this group of people, this demographic group of people. This growth for one reason, and I think, for, in our opinion, is to populate, is to bring the message of Christ to the world. You know, Hispanics, when we come to your house, we don't come with two people. We're coming with ten people. We're, we, we come in big numbers. We are very fruitful uh, of folks. And, and what you're seeing, what the folks are seeing across this nation, is something that should resonate with us. We just need to be ready to receive them into our churches. We need to be ready to change the way we do church services because the Hispanics are, aren't, aren't going anywhere. We're just gonna to continue to grow in this nation and for good reason. I mean, when you think about the Hispanic culture, we have this fear of God, we have this reverence for God, and we also have uh, a standing of family. The institution as family is very dear to the Hispanic culture. and. And and not only the Hispanic, uh, not only the family, the institution of family, but also the sanctity of marriage. So this is a good thing that there's this growth, Mm. but also with this growth, we, I realize as Hispanic, comes a responsibility that God has given us in this nation.
1: Excellent. Uh, Chaco, um, what would you say to a pastor who's not from a Hispanic background? Um, He's pastoring a church and... You know, more Latinos are moving into their neighborhood, into their community, and, you know, they're kind of praying. Obviously, God's bringing these people near to them. How would you suggest they go about, you know, practically speaking, where are some things they can do to help connect with their, their new neighbors?
0: Well, for every pastor that's listening, you better learn Spanish.
1: Go take a class. <laughs> that's right.
0: <laughs> go take a class. I think the, the danger that you can do as an Anglo pastor or an African-American pastor is to say... I'm going to hire a Hispanic to reach them. I believe that uh, that pastor who's listening has the capacity and the anointing to reach the Hispanic culture. Now, it wouldn't hurt you to hire somebody to work with you and to serve you and to connect. But I think if the Hispanic culture is growing around you, it will benefit you to take some Spanish classes to learn and to connect because we're very close-knit people. Just because you love God, that doesn't mean we're going to let you into our living room. We're going to sit down with you. We need to see if you're going to do life with us. You see, when Jesus got into the boat of Luke chapter 5 of Peter, in Luke chapter 5, he was essentially saying to Peter, I'm going to do life with you. And in the Hispanic culture, those pastors that are, are experiencing a growth in their community with Hispanics, you need to do life with them. You need to to their quinceaneras which is like a sweet 16 but quinceaneras are 15 and you need to go have food with them we would we would feed you and continue to feed you it would be a danger of a pastor that would just be standoffish and distance and send someone else if you really want to reach the hispanic culture my uh, my advice to you is to learn spanish
1: Excellent. What, what do you think are the greatest challenges that the church is facing here in the U.S. when it comes to you know, becoming multicultural and embracing uh, people from differing backgrounds?
0: I think the greatest challenge that our churches are facing in our country is this lack of intentionality. We want diversity. Mm-hmm. I think it's even a romantic word. When you hear pastors, I want diversity in my church. But we're not doing, as leaders of a church, we're not doing uh, what we want to become. For instance, you have these Anglo pastors, and you have the worship team, totally all Anglo, and yet you still have Hispanics that come to your church, or African Americans, but yet you're not being intentional. So the word for today is intentionality. You You need to be intentional. To have people on your staff, to have people on your worship team and usher. When I come into an Anglo church and I'm Hispanic and I see an Hispanic, I see a brown on the altar, it speaks volume about what this church is and what the leader is. He or she wants to make sure that uh, there are inclusive, that we're trying to be sensitive to every aspect. I mean, if you go to New Life, you know, you have Anglo, you have Hispanic, you got African-American on the worship team and ushering because that's the reflection of our community. And if we don't reflect our community in the inside, well, how it looks on the outside, then I think we're, we're really missing it. We're, 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 we're really being blind to what's going on. So there has to be intentionality for it to be diverse.
1: Excellent. And that makes perfect sense to uh, – if we want to have – um, a diverse congregation, and that's, that's where our heart is, then that starts with leadership. That starts with people who are engaged in ministry already within the church to be putting different people into places where they are serving and they're coming from different backgrounds. What have you found to be really most effective, as I, I know your church has, has planted multiple campuses, but whenever you're you know, prayerfully entering into a new community— how do you go about really connecting with that community and understanding, you know, the needs and, and just really the culture of that particular community?
0: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, how to understand a community before you put a campus there? First of all, you need to know if that's, there's a need for that. Mm-hmm. There are some churches. there's some churches that are already in that community, and perhaps they're struggling. And maybe one thing that can be done is try to partner and share resources for that local church that just needs it, you may have a church planter that's there, that just needs to be inspired and needs a mentor. Uh, we've we have um, partner, and I say this because there was a church in the Southwest where this pastor was there for 10 years, and and he was just struggling and struggling. And we we send pastors to to his church to pray with him and to even speak for him when he he couldn't have been there. And one thing led to another, and finally he just said, "Hey, I just want to partner with you guys. Can I just?" turn my church over and, and uh, give it to a life-giving church. And obviously that was not our intentions, but we, we need to be, uh, as pastors, making sure that we go into a community to respect the churches that are there, to be ethical about it, and, uh, and, 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 and be able to send letters to those pastors and say, hey, are, we're planning a campus here. This is where we are in six months or nine months. So that's number one. I, I think number one would be is just try to be ethical about what you do when you come to a community. Number two is to know the community. Mm-hmm. Get to know the principal of that school. Get to know the commander of the police department of that community. Um, you know, when, when we opened up a campus on on the north side of Chicago, we we sent people to the bus stops, and we said, if we were going to open up a church here, you know, what? we had two questions that we asked people, not to take a lot of their time. One is, what type of church would you like to see in this community? And we've got a host of things that came out of people's mouths. And then number two, the second question was, is there anything we could pray for uh, now that we have you? And people would say, pray for my husband. He's in the hospital. My son, he's in the prison. And, you know, my children just having a hard time. And little did these people know that we were coming into their lives. And this gave us an opening to be able to speak into them and pray for them. So these are different things is to, number one is to be ethical about it, get to know the pastors in that community, let them know you're coming in. Number two is try to um, find out what is the need of that community and how can you best serve it. Uh, Sometimes there are pastors in this nation that just go all crazy and go to a community and perhaps not become so successful and they get frustrated because they did not do their due diligence mm. of that community. It took me close to maybe 18 months to open up a campus. 18 months. And that was doing a, a small group in, in, in the campus pastor's house. We were in his house. He was there giving Bible studies on Tuesdays. And it took like for a year and a year. And then we went and rented a church, an African American church, for another eight months thereabouts on a Tuesday, again, doing Bible study, but close to 18 months or two years before we had even a Sunday morning service. So you got to be able to lead up to it uh, as a lead pastor and as a campus pastor. Be willing to be patient, be patient, know the community, find out what's the need of the community, and also get to know the pastors in that community, send a letter to them, uh, and be ethical about it.
1: Yeah, I love that, Chaco, because that really speaks to this this idea of God's already at work in that community. You know, sometimes we get we get all excited. We're like, oh, we're going to somehow bring God there. But the reality is God's already at work. He's already at work through yes. other pastors, yes. right, and other churches, and we can be an encouragement to them. Um, yes. But he's also at work in, in these people's lives, these people that, you know, that are at the bus stop, as you said. God is stirring in their lives. The Holy Spirit is is Amen. actively pursuing them. And so, so to approach it in that way, I so appreciate, brother, because that's recognizing, God, you're at work. And uh, we want to come in humbly and, yes. and come alongside what you're already doing, not that we've got all the answers and we're just dropping in, right?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's pretty arrogant and uh, of a pastor who totally doesn't connect with anybody in that community and says i'm going to change this community i'm going to change chicago you know people see the violence in our city and they say i feel god leading me and they just come out here without understanding the community understanding the landscape Mm. of the city of chicago the political landscape is just crazy and so they come out here without seeking some sort of support or Uh, get to know people, uh, other pastors that have been gatekeepers in the city. Man, it would do you well, if you're listening to this, it would do you well to get to know the gatekeepers of that particular community. Now, it doesn't have to be a church. It could be an agency, Mm a 501c3 that they're doing, uh, you know, youth event after school, and they're doing a mighty thing there. Get to know those leaders who know the ins and outs of that community. But I think it's pretty arrogant. That we would come and say, I'm going to bring God to Humble Park. I'm going to bring God to, you know, Cabrini Green or or, or any parts of our city. Well, God's already there. (laughs) God's already there. All you're going to do as a a planter is come alongside of some other pastors that are doing it, uh, and you're going to help them in a system. Now, I have no problems in the city of Chicago. People want to plant churches here, go for it. I mean, there's a lot of people that need Jesus. And I realize I cannot reach every demographic. I realize that. So I need those who do come to Chicago and they seek my help. Hey, you know, I had a pastor from one of the organizations of the churches in the suburbs that said, Hey, Pastor Choco, we want to plant a church, but it's like maybe three blocks down from you. And I said, Brother, go for it. You got my blessing. There are over 72,000 people that live in Humboldt Park. Uh, we, We need more churches and so you know he did the right thing he met with me and 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 i knew that he could probably reach a group of people demographics that i cannot and uh, and we partner in that way i blessed him and prayed for him and, and and uh and there was no competition in that but i think it's pretty arrogant to say i'm going to bring god to this particular community as to say god is not there no god is there he's working in people's lives there are grandmothers that are praying grandfathers that are praying, there are preachers and pastors that have been sweating and dodging bullets. They've been praying and so forth. What you should do is make sure that you come with the humble spirit and say, what can I do to add value to this community?
1: I, I appreciate that, Pastor Choco. That's, that's, that's great wisdom there. Now, I want to kind of shift a little bit because you have a new book entitled Move Into More. I and do. And, and in that book... You mentioned that we often settle for less than God's best. Can you share with us a little bit how do you see that happening in the lives of pastors and ministry leaders? How are they settling for less than God's best?:
0: You know, I think that uh, for pastors and leaders who get frustrated and maybe do not see their vision come to pass, they drop their vision to meet their current realities. Let me explain. In every one of our lives, in every one of our ministries, we have this vision that God has given us for our, for our people, our city. And then we, we have our current realities. It's like having a rubber band. If you were to stretch a rubber band, on the top, it's your vision. On the bottom is your current realities. And those current realities for us in Chicago are very real. We had to run a high school for 10 years. We had to run a high school for 10 years, and we had to submit ourselves to the engineer. He had to open up at 6.30 in the morning on Sundays, and, and if there was a fire alarm, and we had to vacate the building, and we were, there would go two or three services. We were running five services in this school, and that was our current reality, that for 10 years, we were renting, uh, we were renting this high school. Now, the easy thing to do is, as a leader and as a pastor is, I either drop my vision to meet my current realities and be frustrated and give up, or I bring up my current realities to meet the vision. And the vision was to stay in our community, wait patiently for God, and God would give us the land and where we can build our own building. And that happened in 2003. That happened to the glory of God, 2013 rather, And God gave us the land. We were able to build a 1,400-seating auditorium. But had I gotten frustrated, I would have left the school. I would have listened to the people that said, hey, Pastor Choco, why don't you go to the south side? The the, the land is cheaper. Why don't you move your church to the suburbs of the city of Chicago? I said, I'm not doing that. I haven't heard from God. We're staying right here in this high school. And um, what happens is in those moments in life that we settle for less. When God has so much more for us. And that's just one example of pastors that get frustrated and they end up settling for less when God has given them. We settle for a lesser land when God has given us the promised land. Mm. And we've got to be able to be patient and wait on God and not give up. Don't settle for less than God's best for your life. Every leader that's listening, every pastor that's listening, don't settle for less. Then God's best for your life. God loves to make something
1: out of nothing. Amen. Uh, what What advice would you give to a pastor who who might be in a situation like that? You know, years and years, they're they're faithfully serving. They feel like God's given them this vision, and yet there are those you know frustrations. There are those other voices. Like how how did you stay strong and stay grounded in that vision that God had given you? you know during that time
0: yeah the good question i i stood grounded because when i was 14 years old and this is part of my new book of move into more god marked me at the age of 14 years old i was given a word by a woman and i was at a youth conference and i was kneeling down praying and this woman comes over to me prays over me and begins to prophetically give me a word and here's the word that she gave me this was 39 years ago i remember as if it was yesterday She said, I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Now, today at 53, I realize that's Abraham's covenant and God's covenant with Abraham. But I remember at 14, getting up from that altar, and the convention was in a hotel, and I get into the elevator, and when I get into the elevator, a tall Anglo guy walks in with a suit, and the door's shut behind him in the elevator. And he turns towards me. And said these words, have you not heard? I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Now little did I know that God was marking me. He was sealing me. And when those days of frustration come in my life, and those times that you want to doubt or those times you want to give up, I remember the altar. I remember the elevator. I remember the word that God gave me. And for every pastor and leader that's listening, you've got to hold on to the promises of God. He has more for you. The book of Jeremiah chapter 1 says that God himself will see to it that his promises will be revealed, will come to completion in your life. We need to make sure as leaders that we find those moments in life where we have been marked by God and hold on to those promises and not give up. I, I assure you, every pastor and leader that with every elevation there's going to come a new revelation in your life. If you just don't give up, there's always more with God. And I found in my life as I grew up at 15 years old and 20 years old and every new position that God got in leadership, I thought, this is it. This is what the lady was saying at the altar. This is what the man said in the elevator. When I became the director of 11 states, in the United States of youth ministry, I thought this was it. When I became the senior pastor in the year 2000, I thought this is now it, what the lady was saying at the altar and the man said in the elevator. And all that that was doing was creating parameters in my life and guiding me to make sure I kept moving forward. So I want to encourage every leader, every pastor that's listening. The Bible says that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Mind cannot conceive what God has in store for you. That's why I put my experience and what God has revealed to me in this new book that's coming out April 24th. Move into more. God has no ceiling for you in this year. You would not believe what God has for you if you were just take him at his word. Take him at his word. And you've got to be willing to experience some losses. Let me explain this. Mm -hmm. Sometimes losing at the moment is winning. If that makes sense, sometimes losing at the moment is winning and you don't realize it. But there is this shaping. There is this massaging of your faith that we must have to continue to experience those losses. But victory is on our side. If, if you just be able to wait for it. I like in, in chapter five in the new book, it says, uh, don't wait for victory. Walk with victory. Talk with victory. Speak with victory. Think with victory, because victory happened the moment that Jesus died and resurrected from the dead, glory to God. Every leader that's listening, pastor, Mm. you have to walk with victory. And and no matter what you are seeing in front of you, you've got to continue to say, I have victory in my life. Ten years at a high school, ten years waiting for God. And every Sunday the church was growing, we were planning campuses, we were buying buildings, While we were waiting for our building, we were building other things, ministry, a farm for prostitutes, a shelter for homeless men and women. We were building these things while we were waiting for our own sanctuary. So God has more for you if you're willing to walk and believe and have faith and be able to move into the more he has for you.
1: Amen. Uh, whenever you mentioned that sometimes our losses are really setting us up and leading us into more, can you give um, an example of one of those yeah. losses that you experienced, you know, in your ministry that was actually setting you up and leading you into more?
0: Yeah. I, I remember when we found a land, you know, again, I, I went to this high school from 2003 to 2013. In 2000, And, and so through those 10 years, I think it could have been year number six that we were in high school. And I remember going to a land in Humble Park, and I thought, for sure, this is it. And I remember going around the building, doing Jericho, praying. <laughs> we even rented the facility for a year to do our resurrection services there. And we thought this, you know, we spent tens of thousands of dollars renting and, and try to make sure that the sound was right and and, and when we come to realize that the state would not give us this land. And that was just a terrible loss. And then I went to, an, from there, I went to another facility looking in our city, in the same community, Humboldt Park, where this land was up for sale. And it was more than what we needed for parking and sanctuary. And for one year, for one year, we had meetings with the owners of this property. We, we even hired an architect to show how the building would look like, the sanctuary would look like in that, in that land. But again, to no avail. Mm. You're talking about being frustrated. You're talking about being just uh, disillusioned and, and saying, man, God, I, I thought this is it. And every time I thought it the Lord closed the door until, until one season when we had to rent, we had to be outside of the city of Chicago, Uh, of the high school, rather, and we rented a tent, the year's 2011. We rented a tent, and we had to 90 days be outside in the summer of 2011. And the the high school was renovating their auditorium, so we had to vacate it for 90 days. And the school said, hey, pastor, we can find you another school, and you guys can rent there. And I said, no, I don't feel that's what God wants us to do. So we went in under this tent for 90 days, mm-hmm. and the first Sunday, I remember coming home, and I said to my wife, I'm exhausted. It was a sunny day in June, right. and we're under the tent, and, we, and I was feeling frustrated, and one thing led to another. A member of our church came and said, Pastor Choco, I just saw a land go up for sale in Humboldt Park for six acres, and would you believe, again, make a long story short, in less than 30 days while we were under the tent, we made a bid for that land. We got the loan for the land. We closed on the land. We bought the land in less than 30 days. Wow. So when it's God, it's God. Right, right. Here I am wandering, like two or three years, going to that first place, that second place, and uh, but didn't give up. But those things do happen in our lives. They just make us stronger as leaders and as pastors. you got to be willing to take those times in your life and say, okay, this is a lesson. This is a lesson. I can't give up.
1: That's that's an awesome story. Thank you for that. One of the things I loved in the book, um, uh, you wrote a chapter called Deterrence to More, and uh, you're talking about some of these, you know, whenever we face challenges, when we find ourselves in the wilderness. And um, one of the things that you mentioned in there was that one of our greatest, you know, really weapons against the enemy um, when he's trying to get us down during these, you know, wilderness times or these challenges is whenever we're willing to, to worship even in the midst of challenges and difficulties. Can you talk to us a little more about that idea of worshiping in in our worst times? Yeah,
0: it it is a weapon that we as leaders and pastors that we have in our lives. And uh, if you can just submit to the fact that we're going to go through some valley experience in our lives, that we're going to face some storms in our life, that we're going to get frustrated, we're going to get desperate, but one thing we cannot lose is our our time of worship with god you know when when uh when job when job lost everything i want the leaders to understand that the first thing that the devil came after job if you read the scripture it wasn't it wasn't his children's first it wasn't his money the bible speaks to it that the the devil came and started destroying the cattle, the animals. And I started thinking, why would he do that? Why wouldn't I go after the money? Why wouldn't I go after his children? But he went after the cattle because Job would use the animals as a form of worship. He would sacrifice animals. So essentially, how I look at that scripture is that the enemy was trying to take Job's worship away And when we go through things in our lives, when we go through those ups and downs, when we go through what Joseph went through, that pit experience, we must continue to hold on to our worship and know that God is bigger than anything that we may be facing. Worship is the key to a lot of our success as leaders. Worship is the key to get us out of that pit, knowing that the promises of God are yes and amen. So keep worshiping keep praising him i know it looks bad i know that things are not going your way and maybe they close the door here like they did for me but i didn't stop going to church on sunday i didn't stop praising god on monday i didn't stop reading my word i kept worshiping and worshiping now worship for me is a lifestyle it's not just a church experience it's who i am when i'm driving when i'm in the grocery store it's who I am when, when life comes at me, so when, when you do it that way, naturally, when you do it that in the spirit realm, when you're faced with those obstacles in life, it's going to come out of you. But if all you do is worship on Sunday and Wednesdays and midweek Bible study, then it's going to be difficult you, for you to worship when you're facing a storm and when the devil's trying to destroy everything you have. So worship is a powerful tool. It's a weapon. Uh, that we need to just keep walking and walking with victory and thanking God for what he's given us.
1: Amen, brother. Your new book, move into More, available in April. Some fantastic stories that you share in there, words of encouragement, obviously, about the limitless surprises of a faithful God. Uh, Pastor Chalco, if you could, is there any um, last words, some additional encouragement or advice that you would like to share with all the pastors who are listening today?
0: Well, first of all, thank you, church leaders, for having me and to be able to speak into these pastors who are walking into their calling or maybe have been in their calling for 10 years and 20 years. I want to encourage you to not settle, not settle for less. God has more than what you're seeing right now. His words are true. I've seen it in Chicago. I've seen what God can do when you and I put our hand to the plow Your response, pastor and leaders, your response to the more of God today will dictate how much more of God you will have tomorrow. So embrace it. Embrace what you're going through. Thank God for it. Thank God he's giving you the Holy Spirit. Thank God that you have the the power to go through it. But don't settle for less when he's giving you more. Don't give in to your current realities. You have a vision. God has given you that vision, and that vision will come to pass. I am a witness of it. I've seen the hand of God in Chicago, and we continue to see the hand of God. So walk in victory, my brother my sister. Talk in victory. Speak in victory. Think with victory, because victory happened the moment that Jesus died and resurrected from the dead. I pray this has blessed you. I pray that you get into the book of Move Into More. And it'll be a blessing to you and your local church.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Choco. I appreciate you being with us once again. If if someone wants to connect with you or with your ministry or learn more um, from you, what's a good way for them to do that?
0: The best way that you can get a hold of us is through our website, mynewlive.org. And um, you can go into our social media at Pastor Choco. And uh, you can just email me as well uh, through our info at mynewlive.org and find out what we're doing here in Chicago. And I tell everybody, once you go into our website, if you see something you like, take it, take our name off, put your name on it, give credit to the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you see a sermon series you like, take it. I'm sure I got it from someone else. And so uh, I want to make sure I share everything I have with people that God has called me to, to mentor and to bless.
1: Awesome, brother. I love it. I love your heart. I love your spirit. Thank you for encouraging us and inspiring us. Uh, We appreciate you and all that you're doing for the kingdom, brother. God bless you.
0: God bless you. Thank you so
1: much. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available for both Apple and Android. And so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well